In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the podcast Southern Fried Soccer. I'm at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, as usual, where Atlanta United defeated Chicago 2-1. On Sunday, behind a goal from Franco Escobar, his first with the club, and an own goal by Chicago. The win, combined with the New York Red Bulls' win against Philadelphia, means that the Five Stripes need three points next week, either 3-1 in their game against Toronto, or three dropped in the Red Bulls' game uh, hosting Orlando for the team to clinch the Supporters' Shield. With a win, it did clinch a spot in next year's CONCACAF Champions League, which is important because it increases the awareness of the club uh, in the, at least the Western Hemisphere, if not the whole world. Um, I'm joined by Jason Longshore of 92.9 and SoccerDownHere.com. You can find Jason on Twitter where? Longshoe. Take the R out of my last name, and that, that's me on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. So, Jason, what did you make of today's game? It's a weird one. Um, disjointed. You get these sometimes late in the season, especially when you're missing guys like Almiron and Vialba. It has an effect, and it did. You know, Atlanta didn't look great today. Um, they grinded, though, and, and there was a little bit of a different feel to it than late last season when things got tough. And you had the Almiron injury at the very end of the season, but then you just ran out of gas, too. And when things got tough in those games, it felt like Atlanta really didn't have much of a response. I think two guys that maybe changed that this year are two guys who I thought factored in a big way today, uh, Eric Rometty mm-hmm. and Franco Escobar. Yep. Two guys who are, I mean, the epitome of just grinders. They're, they just work extremely hard. And Escobar was our man of the match on, on radio. And Rometty, the substitution with Lorenowitz coming off the bench – going into that six role and Remetti going into a very free box-to-box, almost destroyer kind of role where he could just go find things and break up the play and then get forward and create stuff as well. I mean, Eric Remetti in that role could be very effective once we get into the postseason in certain situations. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't, by no means, was it Lenny United's best performance. They really haven't had a best performance Maybe the second half of the San Jose game or the first half of the Colorado game. But we haven't first seen, half of Colorado was really good. But I we, would put that one there. Yeah, we haven't seen what I think people would call an A effort uh, from the squad in quite a while. And it's one that they are going to have to bring next week in the cold against a Toronto team that's not going to want to see Atlanta United break its points record uh, on its own field at BMO yep. Field next week. Um, so they've got to play better, and they don't really have the strongest history 
in these high-pressure games of getting good results? No, no. But I think today starts to potentially change that narrative because you did get a result. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. You didn't have, honestly, the best combination of players, I think, to, to get what you wanted out of this. You know, Joseph Martinez felt like he was kind of on an island a lot today. You had Barco and Carlton playing behind him, Gressel playing centrally behind him. All of those guys are looking to create opportunities rather than get up and take some of the pressure off of Joseph as Vialba does when he's in that second forward role. The the 4-2-3-1 didn't look as good today. Uh, the 3-5-2, which I had not been the biggest fan of in the middle of the year, it just feels like Atlanta might be more comfortable in that shape. Yeah, I won't disagree with you on that. Um, I mean... When you've got a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old, guys who, and guys who haven't started in a long time, starting, I didn't expect that it was going to be fluid. Yeah, um, definitely that. Joseph, I think, has one goal in the run of play in the past seven games. The others were penalty kicks. Um, I think he's fallen in love a little bit with these little flips and and odd passes, the little touch passes, instead of just taking the ball and going at people. Um, so I think he was a victim of that sometimes today. He would give away balls with trying these little tips and tricks. He's dropping deeper, too. Yeah. And he, he's not just staying on the, the back shoulder because, I mean, in some ways he's had to. He's had to drop in and, and get some touches and help the team play out of trouble. But it's also taking him further away from goal, and it's also using some energy up. Mm-hmm. and. You know, it's it's not a situation. I mean, I've I've seen lots of you know what's wrong with Joseph. Joseph isn't playing well. I, I don't. I wouldn't say he's not playing well. He's not scoring goals at the moment. Right. But I think his overall contribution has actually probably been deeper than it was when mm-hmm. he was scoring a bunch of goals. But is that is that what's best for this team? Right. And that's the question you have to figure out, especially when Almiron and Vialba are not in it to pick up some of that goal-scoring slack. And he was also unlucky today. Sometimes the ball just bounced off his oh, foot the shot and went off the of wrong McClain, way. He had no idea where the shot was going, and it goes off of his shoulder early. I, I think Martinez would have been flagged for offside if they reviewed that on that play. But, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I don't know what would have been flagged and what wouldn't have been flagged today. Yeah. Um, it was a weird 18. There were five yeah. players in the 18. Uh, 22 were younger. Yep. Uh, which I don't ever remember. We learned in Gerardo Martino's press conference after the game that the reason that Kunga, for example, made his first 18 is because Brandon Vasquez and Romario Williams have injuries uh, that yep. weren't disclosed to us by Martino on Friday. Brandon, Brandon was on an injury list. He's been off and on an injury list. Romario, I had no idea. Because uh, Romario, we saw, he didn't feature the last week for the twos. We saw him have a USL Team of the Week perform Player of the Week performance, and didn't know about an injury at that stage because yeah, I would have thought that one way to solve the Miguel and Tito absences today would have been to play Romario and Joseph together, and then Romario was here but not dressed. Right. Well, let's talk about the kids for a second. How do you think Carlton did? You know, I thought Carlton and Barco actually had pretty similar games. They weren't bad. That neither one created any chances today. Um, that's a little different for both of them. I think both being in the field together in some ways could negate each other because they're they're both similar types of players. For me, the bigger issue was just the midfield as a whole. 
I'm not a fan of Gressel centrally. I, I think Gressel's so much more effective out wide. I think right now he's so much more comfortable out wide. The second half when he was moved to a wide position, he started to have more of an impact on the match. I think the combination of the three of them and the roles they were in didn't work. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen either Andrew or Ezekiel in the middle get Gressel back out wide to the right where he's comfortable and dangerous. And then it might have actually had a knock-on effect on Carlton and Barco. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the Houston game in which the lineup was just overthought again. I'm much of more of a fan of just keep it simple. Try to plug in like for like, but keep everyone else in their roles that they've grown comfortable with. And they didn't do that again today. I thought it'd be a 3-5-2. Even with the 11 that was shown, I thought it'd go 3-5-2. Um, it easily could have. And a little surprised that it didn't. Yeah, Carlton, I thought, had a decent game. Didn't really create a whole lot. Um, he had that one shots. slice shot yeah. in the first half. And he told me he was trying to hit it a little bit lower. And then he had that one shot slash cross in the second half. Micah's man beer. Uh, <laughs> he was trying to say that, that Carlton was going for a chip on that. I was like, no, I think he's really trying no, to was, slice it across shot. it. Yeah, yeah, he was trying to rip um, it. Barco, you know, uh, he needs an offseason, a reset, I think. There was a 30-second span in the first half that kind of summed up his season in which he had Carlton wide open. And all I've complained about with Barco all season is he doesn't shoot enough. This time he had Carlton wide open. He should have passed. And instead he <laughs> shot from an angle that was almost impossible to score from. And then five seconds later, he gets drilled by a Grussell shot because he doesn't get out of the way, and it puts him on his rear end on the turf. Yeah, That, that was, was a, kind of his season in a nutshell for That me. was a tricky one because, I, I, if I remember right, he tried to lay it off. It ends up falling to Grussell, and, and he's trying to get out of the way because he sees what's about to happen behind him and just gets popped and dropped. He, I mean, he, he earned three free kicks today. That was his biggest contribution. Probably could have earned a couple of more um, as he started to get on the ball more and draw defenders and take some shots, take some hits, and didn't get a whole lot of calls on it, even though he did earn three free kicks. Not the best we've seen from him. I, I think the combination in the attack just didn't work. It just it, it didn't work. I don't think anybody was necessarily the focal point. So... You know, you didn't know who you were going to try to play through, so you kind of just played, and it didn't have a lot of sharpness in the final third. Let's switch to the rest of the East today. Red Bulls uh, won one to nothing on a Kaku penalty kick. Yeah, that was uh, an in interesting Chester, Pennsylvania. call. Um, have you seen the the handball that went to VAR to give them the penalty? I haven't seen the replay yet. I've seen the replay a few times, and I'm still looking for the handball. Okay. It was, I mean, just an interesting call and a huge moment. The day's biggest news, the most shocking news in Major League Soccer this season, maybe, Orlando won for the first time since June. Uh, yeah, craziness. Beat Columbus. A very which late means penalty. That if Columbus loses next week and Montreal mm-hmm. wins, Columbus and future U.S. men's national team manager Greg Berhalter will not be in the playoffs. If Columbus draws and Montreal wins, Montreal goes through That's with more true. wins. Yeah. Uh, Montreal stepped up and got a 2-0 win over Toronto today to keep that hope alive. And it was a late, late penalty in stoppage time. Chris Mueller earned it. Sasha Kleschen converted it. Um, Columbus? One thing that was an interesting element of it that we didn't know coming in, I believe Andrew Erickson had this on Twitter afterwards. Burhalter told him that Justin Merrim did not play in the match, and that was part of the trade agreement from Mm -hmm. Orlando back to Columbus, and he did not play because of that. They upheld their end of the bargain on it. 
could have been an impact on the match because Columbus didn't take advantage of an awful Orlando defense and only scored once. And now, yeah, I could easily see a scenario where they don't go to the postseason. So what's Atlanta United's best first-round matchup? They get a bye. Mm-hmm. They'll open up uh, on the road November 4th, and then they'll host on November 11th. What do you think their best matchup is of the four teams that they could face right now? Yeah, because NYC is still in the mix. NYC could fall out of that three spot. And, and this is assuming Atlanta's the top seed and would, would play the lowest seed left. New York City's really struggling. Um, I feel like they're playing a little bit better than they're getting results, but not by a whole lot. Philadelphia concerns me. Even with the loss today, Philadelphia concerns me, um, although Atlanta's handled them fairly well. D.C. is is a different team with Wayne Rooney and a different team with Luciano Acosta playing the way he is. Uh, you also have Bill Hamid, who's the type of goalkeeper who gets hot in the postseason, and you've got problems. Montreal, I would be happy to see Montreal. Um, I don't think they're that good, and I don't think they're, they have the team speed to play with Atlanta. I'd probably like to see Columbus or Montreal the most. And I know Columbus scares people because of last year, but Columbus isn't playing like they did last year. They can't score goals. If they get one against an Orlando team, and I think they only have 39 goals this season, they just can't play with the top teams. And when you look at the overall record for Atlanta against Columbus, Atlanta's dominated the series since last season. Mm -hmm. That's the conundrum that is Jossie's artist. He scored goals this season, 16 or 17, but if you need him to score a goal, it's not likely going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know how much, I mean, when you when you look at him getting essentially half of their goals this season, it's hard to, to be too angry at him at no, this stage no. because he's getting no help. Right. Columbus just isn't that great, and, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it. He. Greg Berhalter is the you know likely front runner to be the next men's national team manager, and doesn't seem like there's much of a conversation about it. When you really start to look at the records, Columbus isn't all that impressive. There's four, five, six other managers in MLS with better regular season records than Greg Berhalter, who are in the league right now, and the one who has the by far best regular season record of any of the managers in MLS. I believe it's the best regular season record in MLS history, is Tata Martino. Yeah, I don't know if you heard uh, John Gomez on uh, Jason Davis's show. Eric Gomez. Eric yeah. Gomez, I'm sorry. Yeah. My apologies. Eric Gomez on Jason Davis's show on Friday. Did you hear that? I, I didn't hear it. I've heard some of the things afterwards after the, the fact. Jason had me on first. Yep. And then Gomez on second. I heard you because I made time to listen to you. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, That was a waste of 15 minutes. Two facts that Gomez said. uh, I don't know who his source is, but it's pretty good. Um, Martino wasn't interested in managing any national teams, I think, except for the U.S. Mm -hmm. But the U.S. didn't reach out to him. Remember what Taylor Twelman said during the, the call of the Red Bulls match? Because they sat down with Tata Martino the day before that match in New York and talked about you know all the rumors and all the stuff. And Taylor made a very big point in that match to say that, well, Adrian, Adrian Healy, his partner, you remember at the end of that interview when I said, what about the United States national team job? 
And Tata Martino's eyes lit up, and he said he would be interested. And if he hasn't been contacted when that's out there, and now you have Eric Gomez saying this as well, I don't know what the U.S. Federation is doing. Now, when you put that together with the fact that the previous day on Counterattack, hosted by Brian Dunseth, who was doing the call today for TV, mm-hmm. Vermees, Sporting KC's manager, mm-hmm. said that he was told he was going to get an interview. He had a cursory conversation with someone that wasn't a formal interview, and then never heard from U.S. Soccer again. And that's, that's absurd, because if I'm not talking to Tata Martino in Major League Soccer, Peter Vermees would be my first call. I think Peter Vermees, what he's done in Kansas City has been very, very impressive. He has an MLS Cup to his resume. He has quite a few Open Cups to his resume. And you talk about a guy who is going to motivate a group of players to get a result. I think Vermees is that guy. I think Vermees is the better option in a short-term situation where you get a, a team for a week and you have to get something out of them, as opposed to Burhalter, where we talk about the system a lot that Columbus plays, is he going to be able to implement that in these short bursts of time? Vermees is, if you're comparing the two, Vermees has had a better career than Greg Burhalter as manager. Yeah, part of me wonders if all this is a smokescreen and that Martino is really going to become the U.S. men's national team manager. That'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? Um, and that's why the U.S. Soccer Federation <laughs> hasn't said anything, and that's why Martino has been able to leverage Mexico. <laughs> but it just, if U.S. Soccer truly has not spoken to Martino and hasn't spoken to Vermees, and all these you know criteria about, well, you got to speak English and you got to live in Chicago, if all that's just crap a crap smoke screen to keep people from realizing that it's going to be Martino, then kudos to Ernie Stewart. Absolutely. Because it is the biggest kept secret next to the Atlanta Braves moving to Cobb County <laughs> um, in the city of That's Atlanta. That's impressive company. Um, but if they haven't, and they are truly hiring Greg Berhalter without even interviewing Martino, without even interviewing Vermees, then U.S. soccer needs to be prepared for a dark age because Martino is going to go down to Mexico, which is a deeper pool of players, mm-hmm. more talented group of players, and he's going to kick the butt of the U.S. every chance he gets. Yeah, it's it's baffling to me. It's baffling. I mean, obviously, selfishly, would love to see Tata Martino remain in, in Atlanta. And, and I still think that's a possibility. I honestly do. I think a lot of people have written off that off as a, as a possibility at all. I don't think anything's done. Go back to Eric Gomez's report where he talked about a verbal agreement he also said that Mexico has a couple of contingency plans just in case it doesn't go down. Well, and yeah. Herrera is one of those. Martino said on Friday when he was growing increasingly tired of us asking him about Mexico. Of course. He has not had a chance last week to speak to Darren. Yes. As I said on your show, soccer down here, um, that could mean either he wanted to take Mexico's offer and give it to Darren and say, what can you do? Mm-hmm. Or to let Darren know, I've decided to take this offer, but I'm not going to sign it until the end of the season. Because as Gomez reported, he would incur a penalty. Right, because he's under contract, of course. Well, yeah, I don't know if he's technically under contract. I don't know how it works, because if they're supposed to do something by the 8th, I guess his contract it's ends when the season ends. I assume that's I, I how it's written. So. Yeah, but anyway, anyway, that'd be my guess. We're going into the weeds here, <laughs> and I've got stories to write. Jason, what do you have upcoming? Uh, we have Overreaction Monday tomorrow. SoccerDownHere.net is one place you can listen. You can also download our Soccer Down Here app on Android, and now if you have an iPhone, you can download it in the app. Hey. Store. Finally. Man, that was a difficult process, but it's there. 
so you can listen to us tomorrow, 9 a.m. to 11. Uh, we're Monday through Friday, and it's a busy week. Um, one, one thing also, and Doug, you're going to be a guest on our show as we go the rest of the season. Stoppage Time Live with 92.9 The Game will be on Tuesdays at Fado Irish Pub in Buckhead starting this week, 7 o'clock, live stream that will be on Facebook.com slash 929 The Game. But we will also have a Q&A afterwards for people who are in the building. There will be giveaways. We're trying to come up with some really cool stuff for you guys. So please come out. It's something we're going to do through the rest of the regular se- rest of the season period in 2018 with an idea of it being a year-long deal for 2019. But we've got to have people out in the building spending some money, having a couple drinks, watching and laughing at us and asking us silly questions. There you go. Um, I posted the game story. Steve Hummer, the great Steve Hummer, is here writing a column. I'm going to try to write something about the kids for tomorrow. We've already got something posted about the Champions League on AJC.com that you can find from my Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm going to post the player ratings. Of course, I'm going to post this podcast. I don't think I'm going to put the interviews in it today because we've already talked for a long time, and I don't want to bore you any more than I already have. Please go and rate the podcast. I would appreciate that. It helps us get higher up on the uh, iTunes list. Please tell your friends about the podcast, Southern Fried Soccer. Hope you follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Hope you follow me on Facebook at Lenny United 2-1 winners against Chicago. Qualified for next year's CONCACAF Champions League. Needs three points, either won or dropped by New York in next week's season finales to take its first trophy, the Supporters' Shield. At Lenny United will play at Toronto. Red Bulls will host a red-hot Orlando City Lions team. Oh, jeez. We'll talk to y'all later. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.